It's another episode of Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, or as we like to call it, the show that helps you grow. My name is Doug Jones, and I'm joined by Jason Leland. (laughs) I decided to change it up. Darn it! The one time I actually said my own name. Listen, we have an enormous surprise for you today. Yeah, it's it's completely um, astounding, completely amazing. You are going to be super glad that you're here because we have the one, the only, K. Warren with us today in the studio. Uh, just a, you, you all know K, but just a little bit about her. She's the co-founder of Saddleback Church. She's an advocate for people living with and affected by HIV and AIDS. She's a champion for orphans all over the world. She's committed to helping people who struggle with mental illness. She is the author of Say Yes to God, Choose Joy, Sacred Privilege, and the co-author of Foundations. She really needs no introduction, but that I just was a, gave that her was a great one. <laughs> that was a great one. Uh, we talk about quite a few things with Kay today. It's a really, really fun conversation. You're going to want to listen to the whole thing. And uh, we start off talking about how every Christian is commanded to love their neighbor, and that means everybody. That means the marginalized people as well, which is an area of great passion for Kay. So we talk about that, but Kay also shares tons of just solid gold discipleship lessons from her own personal discipleship journey that you are going to deeply enjoy. So, without any further ado. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kay. Yeah, I've been excited to do this. Really appreciate you coming. Uh, We're talking a little bit today about loving the marginalized and that each believer has a calling on their life to love everybody. And so uh, we just got a few questions to talk through and just love to hear you share your thoughts on this particular topic and how we can obey Jesus better in this area. Um, Starting off, I know that this is an area that God has spoken to you heavily about in the past and it's become an area of great passion. Can you talk about just how that came about? Well, advocacy in particular. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think I think I've always been an advocate. I, I remember as as a kid, as a teenager, being really um, compelled by the what I saw happening. I mean, I grew up in the '60s, and so mm. there was um, that was during a lot of um, the civil rights movement. I was a little girl, but I was really aware of what was going on. Um, the assassinations of President Kennedy, um, mm. um, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Robert Kennedy, um, the Vietnam War. Um, it was just such a tumultuous time mm-hmm. that I was shaped and formed in that time, and um, so was really called even in my in my heart. I, I was going to be a missionary. Um, that was all that girls could do, you mm. know, in Southern Baptist churches. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted to serve Jesus, you could either marry a pastor, or be a missionary. <laughs> and uh, at that point, at nine, you know, the marriage thing wasn't high on the list, so mm. I was going to be a missionary. <laughs> but it was tied into this knowing that people people had needs, that people mm. were broken, that people were suffering. And um, and so then very compelled in my um, you know, junior high and high school years uh, to be really aware of what was happening mm. with marginalized people or people that were um, denied 
their their dignity as human mm. beings. And um, so I think all that shaped me. And then when Rick and I met and we started Saddleback Church, and then I think I fell into the really normal stage of life, which is building a family, mm. you know, having kids, building a family, building the church. Mm. And um, so it felt like all my activities were pretty much directed, you know, right here in, in the church and in raising my kids. And then as my kids were leaving the nest, it's some of that old passion and fire mm. and desire to look even beyond my own community um, resurrected, if you yeah. will, maybe, or yeah. came, mm. became a burning fire again. And, um, and then in 2000, so right about that time in 2002, I read um, a magazine article on, on um, um, orphans in Africa. Mm. And um, specifically those who have been orphaned due to AIDS, and that's really when the AIDS um, and epidemic was just building in in velocity and the number of people who were being uh, affected and infected and the mm. number of children that were dying. It was just it was just a really really hard time in in that crisis, and um, but I didn't care. You know, mm. I'm not going to pretend that I did. That wasn't an area that I was particularly concerned about. But when mm. I read this magazine article that talked about the number of children in Africa alone that had been orphaned due to AIDS it was a it was like a Damascus Road mm -hmm. moment I mean I really felt like I like fell off my donkey was blinded by by a reality that I had not ever seen wow. um, was not a part of my daily life at that moment in time I didn't know a single person who was HIV positive I didn't know a single orphan um, it, it just it didn't touch my life mm. but that article was it just blew my mind. And um, from there, it's just like God just kept opening the doors and putting things in my path. And and I realized that he had called me. Mm. He was calling me to become an advocate for people living with mm. HIV and AIDS and for the particularly the orphaned and vulnerable children left behind. And um, that just didn't fit with my suburban life. It didn't fit with <laughs> suburbia church. It right. didn't fit what with... What is this? <laughs> what is this? And yeah. what are we talking about? And, and does the church get involved in stuff like mm -hmm. this? And does the church care about people who are living with HIV? And does the church care about, um, you know, orphans? I mean, really beyond just reading, you know, James and how we're supposed to care for the right. orphan. I mean, are in we really... Yeah. Yes, <laughs> are we really supposed to do something about this? Right. And, um, and as I said, God just kept... It felt like he just kept catapulting me further and further and further into, mm. no, this is what you're supposed to do. And I went to Africa for the first time in 2003 because in my ignorance, I thought I had to go to Africa to experience people living um, with AIDS. I didn't realize that there were people in this country. I mean, mm. that's just yeah. how uninformed and how ignorant I really was. Mm. So I went to Africa, broke my heart, blew my mind, exposed me to um, some realities that I had never been a part of here mm. in, in, like I said, my comfortable mm -hmm. suburban life, yeah. and, um, and began to just say the church has got, this is where the church has to show up. Mm. The church has to show up any place people are stigmatized, any place where people are, are marginalized, are not brought into the warmth of the fellowship of the of the church of Jesus Christ the church has to has to do something say mm -hmm. something and mm -hmm. and we are responsible for these children that are left behind and so mm -hmm. over the next 10 years um from 2003 to 2013, I spent that decade as a global advocate for people um, living with HIV, calling the church, calling the faith community to um, be warm and welcoming places where people could come to know Jesus, where mm -hmm. um, we would stand up for those who had no voice, that where children could be not just put in orphanages, but be adopted into families. Mm -hmm. I loved it, you guys. I mm -hmm. loved 
it was painful. My heart was just shredded by yeah. all the suffering that I witnessed, but I loved what I was doing. Mm. And then um, on April 5th, 2013, Matthew, our, our youngest son, died by suicide. And um, of course, that that was the worst day of my life. There's mm. just no two ways about it. It was the very mm. worst day of my life. And I remember thinking, I mean, there were so many layers of grief in in his loss, even on that first day, but somewhere in the really dim corners of my mind, I knew that I would never be an advocate for HIV um, people and for orphans in the same way again, that mm. God had just shifted my advocacy. Mm. So it was you a know, pivotal moment. It was yeah. a pivotal moment. Mm. It was, and I remember even grieving that. I loved that life. I loved mm. what I was doing. I loved the call of God. I loved the effectiveness. I loved the way I saw things changing and attitudes changing. And to know that that I had chosen, that mm. I had responded to God's call and chosen, and now the advocacy around mental illness and suicide prevention, it didn't feel like I couldn't respond joyfully to that call mm. the way that I had with the mm. advocacy. This was more of a, you're kidding, right? Mm. <laughs> you're Really, this is what you're mm. asking me to do. This mm. is the place you're asking me to put this passion for people living on the edges and margins. Mm. But that's exactly what he was doing. Mm. And so, you know, in these ensuing five years, that's what I that's where I've put my advocacy passion and um and heart and desire. It's all around people living with mental illness. Again, making the church safe, welcoming, yeah. Yeah. knowledgeable, informed. Um, place a place that's stigma free, yeah. Yeah. and um, that last taboo, which is suicide. Yeah, you know, we just very uncomfortable talking about that it, in general, let alone in the church. So it's been a it's been a very circuitous journey. Mm. You know, in in advocacy, it's not just been this straight line. It's it's had a lot of twists and turns. Mm. None of which I anticipated. Yeah. None of which I saw coming. But I think at the same time, what's been so cool is too is that as you've entered into a new phases of advocacy is you have raised up other people to take the mantle of that advocacy mm. as you've moved on to the next one. Yeah. So you can see it's not like it's not like the advocacy for for orphan care or HIV AIDS has gone away from exactly. the church. Yeah. Instead it's just been built up and right. raised up in new and amazing ways. Right. And that's what's been so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a real com sorry, No, no, I was just going to say I, that that's been comforting yeah. to mm -hmm. me, you know, in the loss of that that I loved. Um it it has been comforting to see other people, other churches, other faith yeah. communities saying, "Oh no, this is we have to care." Yeah. You know, um for people living with HIV, we have to care for orphans and yeah. um so that is comforting that's, to me. And I it it seems to me that there's a there's a lot of commonality within both realms, right? In both realms, you're dealing with stigma. Yes. In both realms, you talked about, you used the word um, ignorance and just lack of, just being uninformed. And you used that word to describe where you were at the time, but I'm I'm pretty sure that as you traveled and began speaking to other churches, you realized that that was a pervasive ignorance that was shared by so many people. Yeah. And that needed to be broken down. And so you've, it seems like you've functioned in a similar role in 
the various areas of advocacy. Yeah, it has been interesting uh, and really gratifying to see so many of the things I learned in that 10-year ag- advocacy around HIV and orphans, to see those exact same principles applied around mental yeah. illness. So you're exactly right. Um, just to give you a clear example of that is um, I got used to, when I would travel, I, I got used to having people whisper in my ear, I'm HIV positive mm. or I'm living with AIDS. And um, and they whispered it because there was so much stigma and discrimination mm. And, mm. and terrible things could happen to you if you disclosed you know, your HIV status. Mm. What I wasn't prepared for or expecting was now people come to me and they'll say, I'm living with bipolar disorder. Mm. I, I, I'm living with schizophrenia. I have an eating disorder. I have suicidal thoughts. And mm. they whisper for that very same reason, because there's mm. stigma, there's discrimination, terrible things can happen if you're really open about your mental health status mm. in certain groups. And so the exact same things apply. You know, we've got to, when we educate people, when we tell them the truth about um, an illness, when we tell them about that mental um, mental illness is an illness, is this isn't about demons, this isn't yeah. about if you prayed more or if you could go to church more, memorize a few more scriptures, you know, do another good deed in Jesus' name, that somehow all this will just right. go away. So that education piece and um, and still that need for the Church of Jesus Christ to be the most warm and welcoming place on the face of the earth. Um, yeah. And I, I've, I've said many times that no one should have to whisper anything about their lives at church. Yeah. yeah I think, And that leads into what I wanted to kind of hit on next, which was this, I, I've heard Pastor Rick say, and I, I love this, he said that Jesus didn't reach out to the marginalized, he, he moved the margins. And I, I've, I've told that quote to a few different people, and they're always just like, that's amazing. Like that's the most game changing thing I've ever heard. And I think it speaks a lot to what you were just talking about. So can you share a little bit about, about, about your thoughts around yeah. that? Yeah. Well, first have to correct the record. He did not make up that oh. quote. He is doing the, t- the Rick Warren thing that he teaches in PDC. <laughs> the first time you hear something, you say, you know, so-and-so has said, and then you move to the, um, well, um, I've heard it I've said. I've heard it said. said yeah. And then there is, always... I've always thought. So he's already moved to stage three, because now he's being given credit for that quote. So the it's, art of originality is forgetting yes, where you heard it. <laughs> forgetting your source. Yeah. Exactly. So that quote is actually from Dr. John Swinton, who is okay. a professor um, at the University of Aberdeen. Hmm. You're welcome, Scotland. John. <laughs> yes, and he is amazing, and he's on my list of books to read. And it's um, he talks about, um, I heard him say, mm-hmm. I heard Dr. Swinton say at a conference, uh, that we're always applauding ourselves, congratulating ourselves when we think, oh, we've moved the margins, you know. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus expanded the margins. It's not that, mm-hmm. that we go outside to the margins and bring people in, but he just said, we, we move the margins. Mm-hmm. Jesus moved the margins, and that's what we're mm-hmm. supposed to do. And, mm-hmm. um, and jo- Dr. Swinton, I'll, I'm just going to tell you, I love this book. I know you're not talking about books yet, but I have to tell you because Anytime. because because of what he says in this book has so influenced my work as an advocate for people living with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And um, he's written a book called Resurrecting the Person. Mm-hmm. And um, the subtitle is like uh, Friendship um, uh, for Those Living with Mental Health Problems. Mm-hmm. And he just makes such a case for what what 
God has done for us in 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 friending us. Mm. You know, we talk about how many friends do you have, you know, on Facebook or all the different social With media, the likes, yeah. exactly, <laughs> which is a whole other topic. Yeah. But but that's just in our vocabulary. That's what we mm. talk about. And Dr. Swinton says that most of us, particularly in the West, our idea of friendship is about an inch deep. Mm. Um, we call people friends if they like the same things we like, mm. um, if we think they're like. You know, it's like, hey, I just met this person, and well, what'd you think of it? Seems like a really pleasant, really likable guy, or mm. you know, I could talk to her for hours. Yeah. And so suddenly, we think that we're best friends with people who enjoy the same sports or the same hobbies, read the same books, mm. um, attend the same you know events, whatever, and they're likable. And and that's what we define in the West as our friendships. Um, Oops, sorry. See, I told you I would hit the mic. <laughs> You'll have to help me, yes. Um, this is where I'm going to start using my hands a lot. Um, but but Dr. Swinton says that that God friended us first. And he didn't mm. friend us when we were very attractive and likable. Yeah. You know, the Bible says we were, you know, heading in the opposite direction, thumbing our nose at him. Yeah. And that's when he came to us, Romans 5, 8 says. That's when he came to us. And then John 15 defines what that relationship is. It's not that Jesus then said, well, now you you are my servants. He mm. said, I make you my friends. Yeah. I call you my friends. And so that's the kind of relationship that we are supposed to have with each other in the church. And that's the kind of approach we are to have with those who are, quote, on the margins mm -hmm. or where we're expanding the margins, is that we offer to people um, in our world that kind of radical friendship yeah. that says, you know what? You may not be a thing like me. In fact, you may not be particularly likable. I mean, really, sincerely, a lot of people aren't likable. And sometimes yeah. people, when they're having in the middle of a mental health crisis, there's, they can be, we don't know what to do. It can be overwhelming. Yeah. And, and right. it's like, okay, I don't know what to do here. And so our tendency is to retreat or isolate or leave yeah. them alone. And the whole point of this this radical friending that God does is that He comes to us when we're not at our best moment, mm. and when we're not particularly interested in the same things He is, and that's how we're to treat each other. And so that now influences the advocacy that that I spend my life doing, and mm. I'm calling other faith communities to that same approach. I you know I know you guys know this, but all the studies on loneliness. Mm. Um, and how that is at epidemic mm. proportions. You know, is it isn't it Great Britain that's just hired the their minister of loneliness? Mm. Um, yeah, oh to yes, they have appointed a cabinet minister wow. whose job is to deal with the epidemic of loneliness mm. in in Great Britain. Well, I mean, it's simplistic to say it's just the church that's needed because that's a big conversation. But there's a piece of that in which. God has already intended. God has already dealt with that loneliness factor, mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be in these radically friending relationships mm -hmm. in in the church. Mm -hmm. We don't do this very well. I'm not saying we do it very well. I'm not saying that I do it well, but I know where I'm headed, and I know mm -hmm. that that's where I'm trying to go, and that's where I feel like God is calling Saddleback and other churches to be those places of radical friendship. So. Uh, DJ Crawford was on the show a couple weeks ago, and he said something that really stuck out to me that mm -hmm. I think pertains to this. We were we were busting some Bible myths with him, and one thing that he said was um, that humans 
we tend to have a real aversion to pain. We have a we oh, well, we don't yeah. have a willingness to endure that. <laughs> I will admit that. Yeah, I think we all would. Who like, wants to hurt? See, if someone hammer my fingers right <laughs> now. I yeah. am not a masochist. I do not like pain. Yeah, anyway, we we going. all avoid pain. Yeah, and that can really prevent us from entering into moments that maybe God ordained. Yep. And that kind of leads me to, if you don't mind, a, a little follow up question. Um, there are there are some real barriers that that believers trip on when it comes to loving the the person who we might deem unlovable or less yeah. lovable, that kind of thing. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest barriers that you've observed over the years that really trip people up? Because I have a feeling there are people listening. I'm one of them yeah. who has those. Well, like, I think the first mistake we make is we divide people into us and them. Mm-hmm. And that's our first and probably most basic mistake is when we um, divide people into camps just automatically in our heads. When mm-hmm. we meet somebody, we're already not even on a conscious level. We are already pigeonholing them in some little box, some little space yeah. in our in our brains where we can fit them. Yeah. And oh, they're this, they're this, they're, or they're that, or mm. she's like this, or he's like that. And so just in those moments of meeting someone, we are already dividing them. Do they fit into my camp? Do they fit? Are we alike? Are we, mm. are we similar? Um, can I relate to this person? Um, are we the same economically? Is our gender the same? Is our... Um, um, our faith tradition. This we just start dividing people. Yeah. We just we just do that. Yeah. And when when that's our our automatic response to people when we meet them, we're already in trouble. Hmm. You know. And so we've already. You talk about barriers to get past and hills to climb um, to to relationship. That's the first one. And so probably um, growing in in our Christ-like maturity to not look at people um, through that lens, not um, seeing so much of how we are different, but how we are alike. Mm-hmm. Um, even in in our advocacy, Rick and I learned that through the years that we don't. You've heard him say this that, and this one he does. I'll give him credit <laughs> for this one. Uh, we're you know he says we don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Mm. And um, so many times that's exactly that we don't, if we go into a relationship or into meeting somebody or having a conversation and we're categorizing them or we're putting them in boxes in our head, um, instead of looking for what might unite us, what what might we agree on here? We could mm. disagree on 50 things and pretty violently mm. maybe or you know passionately yeah. disagree about this or that, but is there anything is there anything here that might be in common that we could start as a building block toward a friendship, a conversation, yeah. um, a relationship? And um, so that's, but that takes, that takes incredible maturity, mm. you know, spiritual maturity. It takes emotional maturity to not be coming from that place of um, h- how comfortable do you make me feel mm. or how comfortable do I feel around you? But instead, how can I make you comfortable? And secondly, is there anything tiny? We both like strawberry ice cream. Great. Let's start by talking uh, about let's that. Let's talk yeah. about strawberry and how it's made and where yeah. the best strawberries come from and where was the first time you had strawberry? I mean, you know, just it's finding something that starts to build a bridge. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember Alicia and I were in Las Vegas, like, this was like, a number of years ago. I can't remember when. Before we were, we were saved, right? Yeah. <laughs> BC. <laughs> we were, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, keep going. We're at we the were, slots. <laughs> we were um, walking around the town. It was kind of later in the evening. And we were just in, seeing all, all different sorts of people. Yep. All different sorts of people. And 
Alicia said to me, and it's it stuck with me, is she said, it's just amazing that that God loves every single person here. Mm. You know, in you know, far, you know, above our even imagine. Right. And so you know, it always seems, and that's always stuck with me, is anytime I might have an issue with somebody or somebody appears unlovable or whatever, just that sheer reminder that God loves them no different than he loves me. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. And and so in speaking of common ground and finding that way to start, it's just if, if we kind of push back our preconceptions or our, you know, our boxes. Our sla- our yeah. boxes yeah. Open up those boxes. Our yeah. boxes and just yeah. start with this ground. Yeah. You know, it, then it opens up our eyes to new ways. That's well, what I found. Yeah, also, certainly. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's not only looking for commonality where there might be a bridge, but just it, it struck me when you were talking about, about how God loves every person. Yeah. Another thing to remember is that every single person you meet is in pain. Mm-hmm. Every single person that we meet is carrying a burden, is carrying a load, mm-hmm. is carrying a, a grief, a pain that they may know how to articulate and they may not. Mm-hmm. And even if they know how to articulate it, are you a safe enough person for them to to reveal it or disclose yeah. it or to have a conversation about it? Right. But when we really, I mean, truly, truly, are, are meeting people, having um, an interaction with them from the place of, okay, you may be striking, I mean, you could be very obnoxious. Uh, I mean, often in in the civil discourse, uncivil discourse of, mm. of our nation right now, mm. um, people can yell at each other in seconds, yeah. just, and say the most vile over, and terrible and over things anything. over yeah. anything. Right. And it's Christians are just as guilty as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, But when you realize the person who's shouting at you um, you know, maybe calling you some names, um, attacking your personhood, your mother, and mm. everything else about you. <laughs> yeah. um, when you can come from the place of, okay, somewhere there is a hurt, a pain, a loss, a grief, a struggle. And if you can keep that in your mind, it also um, makes it easier to do those overtures to people that yeah. are not necessarily pleasant, are not necessarily... Um, agreeing with us on the same politics, the same faith tradition, the same whatever. Mm. Um, it's knowing they're loved by Jesus. God's made them, and they are. They have the dignity of imago dei. Yeah. Um, the image of of God mm. is imprinted on their soul. They are carrying a pain and a hurt or a loss, and that if we are willing to put the time in, there's likely that we will find some small foothold of mm. commonality mm. that we can um, start to have some sort of of um, reasonable and maybe even meaningful yeah. conversation. I love, I just love that idea of being willing to put the time in. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing because it's something we've talked about quite a bit on the show is, is our priorities and what we put our time into and what we invest our time into. Investing our time into people that you may not think about otherwise yeah. is, you know, can open so many doors for God to work. You yeah. you made me think about um, what comes to mind is the complexity of human beings and not reducing them to a single problem or a single issue right. or a certain uh, political camp or right. whatever. Um, you talked about how we categorize people, and somebody said something one time, and I forgot my source. So <laughs> you're we out there. Hold, well, we won't hold you to it. It, it might have always been, said. It might have been Facebook. Will, I don't know. Somebody will tell you. You just wait. But somebody said something one time. Uh, I've always said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, every human being that you run into, kind of like what you were saying, Jason, is a person with a story that is as mm-hmm. complex as yours. We tend to think of ourselves as like these rich and developed right. people because we inhabit if our you own only existence. Knew yeah, exactly. Right. You know, what yeah. I've gone you don't through. know what I've been through. You don't know. To... You don't know, squad, about yeah. me. Yeah. We, we feel like we understand our own complexity, our own potential, and all these things. But when we look at other people, we tend to make them two dimensional yes. or even one dimensional. Yes. We, just, we just turn them into a uh, cardboard. Well, or we or label, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Not like to, that's kind of a tired term, but we tend sure. to label people, yeah. and they just become a very oversimplified, highly condensed um, object to us yeah. almost. And and I, I think Jesus taught us to see the complexity in people, and he called he called the sick. He said, you know, who is it needs a hospital? Well, people are sick people, yeah. and he opened the doors. I um, I think that's a good starting point. I know for me personally, one of the barriers that I always run into is I'm a I'm the kind of person who likes to fix the problem. Like I just try to get in there and fix the thing. Sure. And when I'm confronted with that complexity and I realize this is a complex human being and I can't just with one, I can't just wave my hand and fix everything. Um, then I'm faced with the harder thing, which was what we've always heard you and Pastor Rick calling us do, which is to just enter in. Mm-hmm. Don't try to the fix presence, it, just yeah. enter into it. Yeah. And that can be a very frightening thing for a lot of people. I know that's a, that's a challenge for me personally well. As well, you are not alone in that. I think oh, that is a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, sometimes people will say, oh, that's more of what men do, you know, men, mm. they'll, and even then they're putting a little bit of yeah. a, well, men do that, women don't do that. Well, I'm sorry. I just think it's a human thing I think so that, that we want to, nobody wants to sit in pain. Nobody right. wants to even sit with somebody else in pain. Yeah. We want to get on to the good stuff. We want to get them mm-hmm. fixed. We want to get them healthy. We want to get them back on the road. We want to be the solution, you know, give mm-hmm. them six things Have they can do. Have some frame of control. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. We want, and that's, I think you, I think you nailed it there, is is control. And mm-hmm. when we don't feel like we can control something mm-hmm. or we can't make a problem go away or we can't come up with five solutions, you know, um, on a napkin that we can hand somebody, often we feel really helpless. Right. And, um, and nobody likes that. It's, yeah. it's scary it to not scary. know what's going to happen next when you're just being... Friend, or to just, yeah. or to even, even like one step past that is maybe this is unsolvable. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. there really isn't a, an answer for what you just said. Right. And, and that, that messes with my faith. That messes with mm-hmm. my relationship with God. That messes with my even confidence that I can get through my own life. Cause if I don't have an answer for you, well, good grief. That means that I'm going to have to really face the fact hmm. that I don't have some answers for myself either. And hmm. that we run typically screaming hmm. from any encounter that takes us to those places. Yeah. And yet those people who are going to be fully formed disciples of Christ, those who are going to be made into the image of, of Jesus, um, are willing increasingly. And I'll just say increasingly, because I don't hmm. really expect... You know, I mean, I'm 64, so did I have the same level of passionate pursuit of God into those hard places when I was 20? I had the passionate pursuit of a Mm 20-year-old. I had all that I had, and I gave it, you know, to the Lord. I wanted to know Him, but I have a greater capacity at 64, having walked with Jesus for, you know, 50 can't do the math, 58 years. Mm-hmm. I have been a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ for 58 years. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot. I've hurt a lot. I've I've seen joy. And so you take the, you, that word that you use, the richness of, mm-hmm. of life after all those decades, 
and a long pursuit of God and intentionally putting my spiritual roots deep into God, into the love of God, into the character of God, um, I'm more willing today to wrestle and live with uncertainty than I was at 20 or 30 or 40 and even 50. I just say that is the that is the beauty of 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 long-term discipleship, long-term mm. growing into the image of of Christ is mm. being at some of those places where I don't run. I don't run from the complexity. I don't run from the unsolvable. I don't mm. run from the wow, I don't have an answer for that. I'm more willing to sit there, stay there and to even just say I don't know. Mm. Mm. I simply don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to just knock your mic all to kingdom. Swatted everywhere. (laughs) I may. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that that ends up comforting people in the long run. Mm. I think that um, if I had if I had heard people tell me in my 20s and 30s, um, I I was still on the big search for answers. I Mm -hmm. wanted it all to fit neatly. I wanted to tie the bow on top of my faith. I wanted God to make sense. I wanted life to make sense. I wanted life to be fair. I wanted my dreams to come. I mean, all those Mm -hmm. things that you want um, in early adulthood, I wanted. And I, I, when I would talk to people ahead of me on the road, there were very few that would look me in the eye and say, girl, (laughs) I just need to tell you, some of this is never going to make sense. Mm-hmm. And some of what your heart and your soul is longing for, you may not ever get it. Mm-hmm. And that healing that you are on your face before God, asking, pleading, begging, it, it, you may not see it here. Mm-hmm. You may not see it mm-hmm. here on, on this earth. I didn't hear that from... Um, real life people. I found that in the books. Mm. I found that mm. in the books that I read. I found that in the mentors from people in the past, from people who um, it was on the pages. But I wanted to see it translated into lives mm. and to people that I could sit and have a cup of coffee with and have somebody tell me. So I try to be that now mm. for somebody because I didn't have that. And I don't want people to just have examples in books. I want to be one of those. I want to be a that sounds very, very. What's the word? Um, I'm not self-important. Fill in that <laughs> no, very self-important, right there. I would like to be a living book that other people can read, and that just sounded really trite and um, very self-important. So I'm going to back away from that just a little bit and just say, I just want to be real for other people in ways that I needed as a young adult and mm. in my mid years. I, I just needed somebody to say, God is good, and you can trust Him. But you know what? There's a lot you're not going to ever understand, and mm. it's okay. And I think that's what's so important around the idea of not putting our hope in answers, right. but putting our hope in a person, yes. right? Because with a person, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to, you know, know all the answers to all the questions of everything, but instead you trust the character of the person. Yeah. Mm. I think that's so yeah. important in this. I just appreciate the honesty in that, Kay. I, I think... That fly. I mean, Jason and I, we're two young dudes. Yep. We need yep. to hear this stuff. Yep. And um, we're in the middle of, at least I, I can't speak for you, Jason. You're, yes. you're an old soul. I'm sure you've got all the wisdom. But <laughs> yes. Got it all figured out. <laughs> all I mean, there. I'm very much in the midst of those feelings. And we live, we live in a world that has a completely different narrative. So it's like you have to reconcile. We, we're trying to reconcile. I think uh, all of us believers living in the culture that we do are trying to reconcile what the world says, which is you should be able to have anything that you want, do whatever you want. Uh, every dream that you, you ever have, have should come true. You can have it all. You can have it all. If you just then, do it right. 
Yeah, if you yeah, just if do you just, it right. If you play your cards right. You can right. have it all. And then we have to look at Jesus who said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Come me. Right. And you've got to be willing to do that. You got to be willing to follow me wherever that may lead. And that is a constant wrestling. So to yep. to hear the honesty of just, because again, I'm the guy who likes to like, just like figure out the answer to things and to just learn to let go a little yeah. bit is a, I think at first it can be sobering and a little jarring, yeah. but it's also really, uh, it's kind of freeing too. It is. It is. And as somebody, I mean, I've often joked that I was born with the word why imprinted across my forehead. <laughs> I am a question asker. I want to know why. I want to know why this happened. I want to know why that decision was made. Mm. I want to know why he said that. I want to know why I did that. I want to, I, I, I just, I want to know. And that has an element of the fixing, yeah. has an element mm-hmm. of the control, sure. you right. know, that, that I'm desperately seeking. And, um, and to, to, be, to be growing finally into the, I, in some ways I feel so much freer than I ever have at any other point in my life. And some of that is the, the benefit of, of aging, you know, mm. of going through the decades of life, the decades of family, the decades of ministry. Um, and some of it, though, but, you know, as uh, Pete and Jerry Scazzaro say, you can have been a believer for 40 or 50 years and still be a spiritual baby. Right. So it's not just the decades that bring that that wisdom or that settledness mm-hmm. or that freedom. Mm-hmm. It really comes from that investing the roots in, you know, day in, day out, day in and day out. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking when you were um, talking, Doug, was um, I've been look, reading a lot in Hebrews um, and and Hebrews. Um, I'm in Hebrews in my quiet time. Are you in Hebrews? Yeah. Well, I'm still mostly in Isaiah, but but I've just I was just reading again um, today in Hebrews where mm. he's talking about this the unshakable kingdom, yeah. and that for me fits with what you were talking about of um, you know it's the end of Hebrews 12 where he, he talks about that. He's kind of predicting the future. I mean, the writer of the he- of Hebrews is saying, "Hey, in the times to come, you know, God has already shaken the earth up a little bit, mm. and it's going to happen again. And He's going to mm. shake, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that what is unshakable will remain." Mm. And mm. then, it, then the next verse goes on to say, um, "And we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken." And so. When you know you are in your thirties, I'm guessing, or what? I'm, yes, I'm sure you are. Twenties yes. or thirties? Yeah. Yes, young almost dudes. there, Jason, almost, almost to the thirty. Yeah. Uh, okay, there. so late twenties and thirties. <laughs> so in that in that stage and season of life ahead of you, so much can, is going to be shaken, mm-hmm. and um, and some will, some of the shaking will be good, oh, but some of the <laughs> shaking will be good. Some yeah, of the shaking right. will be good. And some of the shaking will not be good, mm. but but when when we are really solidly connected to that reality, that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, mm. and um, and the one thing that remains is the unshakable kingdom of God, and mm. that's where we put our best time, our best effort, our best energy, our best passion is in the kingdom because it's eternal. It mm. will not go away. It cannot be shaken. Mm. And, um, but that just takes, I think that just takes a really long time and yeah. a lot of having things shaken. Yeah. And you have to prove that to be true in your own life because it's mm. one thing to sit here in a chair in front of a microphone and say, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And then we hold on to what can't be shaken. And it sounds really good until you have breast cancer, as mm. I have, mm. until you have a son with severe mental illness, as I did, until mm. you have a son who, dies by his own hand as I have. That's when you have the opportunity to 
prove to yourself and to a watching world and to the mm. spirit world that is unseen but is there, do I really have my roots in something that cannot be shaken? Mm. Yeah. Or is the tree of my faith able to be yanked out of the ground because those roots didn't hold? Mm. And our goal is to grow into such confidence in God's goodness and such confidence in the character of God that we cannot be shaken. We can be taken to the ground. Mm -hmm. Like Paul says, you know, we've been distressed. We've been men. He says, we've despaired of life itself. Mm -hmm. So we can be taken to the ground, but the, but the tree of our faith can hold. Those mm -hmm. roots can hold. Mm -hmm. I remember, Kay, when um, I was with you when we filmed Foundations, and when you did the afterlife section on heaven. Oh, I got so weepy in that. But it I was couldn't help it. <laughs> but but it goes back to what you were saying, yeah. where it was all of your unshakableness, all of that rootedness was coming out because you weren't just, you know, teaching the truths, as you were proclaiming those truths and the hope that you have in them as mm. you were teaching. You know, it was mm. it was really saying, This is I believe this. Yes. I have clung to this. Yes. I continue to cling to this. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's something, you know, it's having those roots like what you're talking about is in in having the hope in them is is what allows us to continue to move forward yep. in whatever it is that we're going through. Yep. Yeah. And walking with others through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it includes entering into that. So the maturity that you're describing, I think, is the maturity that we can ultimately bring to the table in the lives of others as we enter into that. I think of um I think of people like my parents who who um it's fu it's funny because like you said we have so many we have so many stereotypical understandings of how things work like you talked about men and women and how we <laughs> right. stere stereotype there. I think we do it with um with age and maturity too. And I, I think it's funny because sometimes when we think of young people they we think of them as like you know uh flexible like they can just roll with everything but I actually think when I look at my parents, I actually see people who are more flexible and are more capable to deal with the ups and downs of life than I am. Mm -hmm. I see people who actually have gained flexibility and strength, it, 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 speaking to this rooting idea with time that I feel like, oh man, I, I'm still well, so far away from The that. only reason they are, I mean, we, the, the potential is there. Mm -hmm. The potential is there for the older we get to be more flexible, you know, in our yeah. moods, in our in our. Um, dealings with other people, <laughs> with ourselves, that the potential is there, mm -hmm. but it's only potential mm -hmm. um, because you could stack a whole bunch of other people up next to your parents sure. and who have not grown in their flexibility. In fact, they've mm -hmm. become more entrenched in their inflexibility. They are right. less flexible, less gracious, less bendable, less trusting. Um, and so the only reason I would say your parents are flexible, bendable, gracious, all those things, is because time after time after time after time after time, they've practiced them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's the practice uh, that then builds the ability as you get older to be more gracious, yeah. more flexible, more bendable, not as panicked when things don't go the way you think mm -hmm. of. So, so, so it, it compounds it's, over time. It, compound, it does. It absolutely yeah. compounds. You, we really are building a spiritual house. Mm. Um, you know, Peter talks about the, the spiritual foundations and the house that, that is being built. Right. We are, if you look at, there's so many metaphors for who we are in Christ, but one of them is that God is building 
uh, a spiritual dwelling. He, mm. he inhabits us, and from there, he is building a temple mm. as he inhabits and lives and makes himself at home in our hearts. And as our roots are more at home in him and our lives are infiltrated back and forth, that what, what rises is an edifice. It is a building that is beautiful. Mm. It's not perfect. It's got some dings and some, you know, some of the, it's a little crooked and, it, yeah. you know, we're leaning Tower of Pisa's, you know, leaning Towers <laughs> of Pisa's. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's a little rust and there's yeah. a little, um, you know, there you can see where some bombs have hit and knocked out some windows. But there is something of beauty that's being created from um, that years and years and years of letting God build himself into us so that we become um, um, winsome witnesses of of a good God yeah. who can be trusted and who um, daily reminds us that we are part of something that cannot be shaken. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, we're going all over the place. We are. I love it though. But it's good. <laughs> I hope yeah. you didn't have a plan here because <laughs> nah. I think I blew it out of the water. <laughs> um, it, it, it makes me think of, um, I think believers like that are, this, and this is going to be kind of like, this may sound like the self-important thing you were saying. I think those kinds of believers... <laughs> Get a little embarrassed of that. I was I think really are... waxing eloquent. <laughs> you drew so much attention to it. We probably could have just blown yeah. right by well, it. Well, I but... think I got a little self-conscious there. <laughs> but I, I think believers like that are monumental believers. They're believers that... And, and I mean in the sense they're monuments mm-hmm. to the faith because they're people you can look at and say, look, say what you want. Mm-hmm. Argue with... Yeah. Argue with theology, right. argue with the fine points, yeah. argue with what you think God can or can't do, or right. whether you think God or God is or is not real. But you can't argue with that person yeah. who's standing and has been through all these things and is yeah. still retains that goodness, a goodness that you can offer no other explanation for because they've walked with Christ through yeah. all this time. And I think that that is, man, that's such a powerful witness. And mm-hmm. to me, I, I find that a really, um, it's just a, a, it gets me fired up. Like that's a, that's the image of the believer that I hope that I may one day become in Christ. Um, so I, I, I think well, it's just that's a beautiful where I think and inspiring that, picture. You know, just to go back to what we said earlier, where I was tr- trying to say that often we find an author that we really like, you know, and it could be somebody from the past. It doesn't mm. have to be the, you know, 13th century, but it could be somebody, you know, that we really revere, and we really like, and we read whatever they write, and, and it imprints us, and it affects us. And, and there's real value in that, in mm. having those kind of mentors from afar. Mm. But but we also, at the same time, need mentors up close and personal. Sure, we sure. need those right. flesh and blood mm-hmm. people that, um, I, I, because I can read what somebody else what their life has looked like and how much it's meant to me. And I take courage from their life. And I, um, I mean, I feel like, man, that's, that's who I want to be. That's what I want to be like. But, um, but that person will never know me and never see right. my weaknesses, yeah. never see my besetting sins, mm-hmm. never see the stuff that I keep stumbling over the places where I'm really, I'm not very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm impatient. I'm unkind. And all those, all those places where I'm stuck mm-hmm. and, but somebody a flesh and blood person is going to know me to the extent, much more to the extent, and be able to help shape me um, in relationship in ways that books and authors cannot. It's two-way versus one-way, right? Yeah, completely. You can see the author, but they can't see you. But Yeah. So we're talking about the value of the long-term progression of spiritual growth, which is so, so powerful. And we've talked about um, the importance of loving marginalized people in our life. We started um, there, didn't we? We did. No, but I'm, I'm about to bring it on. <laughs> okay, you're going to bring it. Good, good. Watch this happen. So we, we look and we think, 
uh, yes. So in the future, as we as we continue to grow, God willing, we we grow more and more into the likeness of Christ, as you said. But we're not off the hook for loving people today. Right. We still have a command on us to care for people. So can can we talk for just a moment about just some? It's doable discipleship. Yeah. So we're all about giving people some doable, actionable steps that they can take right away to start obeying the command of Christ a little bit more. Um, what are some ways that you can think of that a person can begin just loving marginalized people in their life? Well, let's start with um, really a, a simple one, hard, but but simple, and that is the number of children in just in the United States who mm. are in the foster care system mm. and who need a home, who need a permanent family. I think mm. there's something like a hundred and... I'll get the number off a little bit, but it's like 130,000 children Mm. in the United States are adoptable in the foster care system. Mm. So if individuals in every church, every faith community in the United States decided that they would um, check out the FOST Adopt, they call it FOST Adopt Mm. program, Mm. and that they would be willing to offer the radical hospitality of their home Mm. um, and take in and adopt a child, um, that in itself, we could eliminate... Um, orphans in America. Mm-hmm. It's doable. You said 130. It's like 130,000 kids are in the foster care mm-hmm. available to be adopted. Some it's are not available. Pretty to accessible be number when you Absolutely, think about Absolutely. When you yeah. think there's like 300,000 churches in America. Right. So oh, we've got wow. twice Just as many. one ma- per church exactly. would double the, that's, yeah. that's my point. Wow. Um, you know, in Rwanda, we've, in some of the stuff that we've done in peace, one of, one of Rwanda's goals was to empty their orphanages. Mm-hmm. And they had 3,000 kids in those orphanages, uh, you know, three or four years ago. And now it's down to, you know, just a few hundred. They have, mm-hmm. they have decided they were going to be the first nation in the world to not have orphans yeah. um, because they knew that children belonged in families. Right. Well, if if a tiny little nation like Rwanda could do that, and we're a nation of you know three hundred million people, certainly we could take care of one hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah. And for the United States to be that's very doable. So that's one thing I would think of uh, yeah. as relate to orphans and vulnerable kids. Um, and then as it relates to um, mental illness, I, I think, and with HIV, the same. We have to decide what kind of person we're going to be, and if we are going to if we're going to be the kind of person that says other people could feel safe telling me that they were HIV positive, or telling me that they're living with a mental illness, or tell mm. me that they're living with suicidal thoughts, then you have to become that person. You have to give off those vibes. Yeah. You have to be the person that stops telling the jokes at the water cooler mm. at at work. You mm. have to be the neighbor who is the first to greet somebody else moving into the neighborhood. Mm. You have to be the one in conversations with other people that says, okay, Enough, enough. Okay, you know, I, I'm just, I don't want to hear that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. And so it's taking the responsibility for becoming a safe person for mm-hmm. other people to sure. share their stories with. Mm-hmm. That is within the reach of every single one of us. Oh, it takes yeah. work. It's uncomfortable. means that we have to put, we have to curtail our humor. means we have to curtail mm-hmm. our prejudices, curtail our, um, our boxes, all of that. But that's yeah. doable. It's yeah. a decision. It's a decision that I'm going to be the kind of person that somebody could tell their story to and know that I would receive it with compassion right. and um, and love and um, a willingness to be there for them. That's just, you know, that's right there at that bottom yeah. five foot level of what all of us can do. And then in our in our faith communities, um, it's, it's, again, just then taking that and extrapolating that to a church level. So if not only am I going to be that way as an individual, but this is the kind of church that I want to be a part of. This mm. is the kind of 
faith community that I want to plant myself in, it's a place mm. where people can tell their stories and people can be in struggle and people can be in process and um, people can can live in those that in between from where they are and where they want to be. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, uh, we can make our faith communities like that. Again, very, very doable things on the education piece. Um, because so often people just don't know very much about mental illness. There's mm. so much out there, you know, mm. um, there's some really good books that people could read. There's hopeformentalhealth.com. There is yeah. hopeformentalhealth.com on my, on my site, kwarren.com. Um, my team and I have, have um, curated an mm. enormous amount of information around mental illness, around mm. suicide, suicide prevention, so that people don't have to stand in front of their computer going, I have no idea mm. where to get good information. Because it's all over the place. It is yeah. all over the place. And you yeah. could spend, it, it is a bottomless pit. Yeah. You know, not pit, because that makes it sound bad. It's just, a, it's a black hole you could yeah. fall into. Oh, sure. The yeah. amount of information is endless. Mm -hmm. So we tried to put it in one place so it's simple and accessible. That's so people can get and educated. it's good information. It is good. Because you can all, also find really can, off the Yeah, you really can't. This is all stuff that um, is very reputable. Yeah. It's not stuff like I've made up. It's it's mm -hmm. not that I wouldn't do something that was good, <laughs> but, but the point is, I'm not a mental health expert. And sure. so we've relied on people who are. And yeah. so all the information mm. is really good, really grounded. And, yeah. yeah. And we'll make sure in the show notes to post links to uh, oh, the orphan care page for the church right. and, and the HIV AIDS page for the church, mental health page yeah. for the church. Yeah. And so if, it, if, if you want to get involved, if you are feeling called to get involved with either any, either of these ministries, Make sure to click on those links, and there's mm -hmm. are people here that want to get you serving, get you information, yeah, you know, all, everything above. I really love the 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 simple step of just becoming the yeah. kind of person that is safe and accessible. And I, uh, Rick or somebody who is uncredited, <laughs> I ruined it forever. Because <laughs> yeah, right? we will have to qualify who said. Well, what. there was a he's taught he's taught us again and again um, that a church that loves like Jesus is a church that can't keep people away. Like yeah. People will come, they'll knock the doors down of your church if you love that way. And uh, I, I was going to ask you to speak to this. I'm sure you've seen that uh, as you personally opened yourself up and and decided you were going to cultivate a sense of safety around you for people, that along with that came opportunities to love people, that you've probably found people coming into your circle that otherwise wouldn't have. So it's probably a, a, a two-edged sword there, right, where you you become a safe person, and I think you'll soon find that people will start coming people to you and opening you. up to you. Yeah, People will find you. There's a, there's a radar for that. Yep, and um, it's it's almost like the, you know, the Kevin Costner old field of dreams you build, if they will come, yeah. you become a caring, sensitive um, person, people will find you. Mm. Yeah. Because it will start to be, it will manifest itself in the way that you talk, in the way that you make eye contact with people, the mm. smile on your face, the words that you choose to use, yeah. the words you choose not to use, mm. and all of that, is it's being picked up by the people we encounter every single day. And it mm. won't take long before um, somebody will test that. Well, you say <laughs> in their head, well, you say you're mm. this, this, and this. So mm. they'll throw a little trial balloon out there. And that's your moment. Mm. You know, that's your moment to rise to that challenge and recognize ah, what's behind here is somebody's looking to tell their story. Mm. Somebody's got something they want to share. How available and open am I mm. to? Put my mouth, you know, uh, 
put my money where my mouth is. I've yeah. said I'm this, here's my moment. Mm -hmm. And you'll mess it up, you know, you'll fail and mm -hmm. you make apologies and you say, you know what, I really blew it. That did mm -hmm. not come out the way I meant mm -hmm. it to. Or can I try that again? Yeah. And yeah. but over time that becomes then that becomes who you are, yeah. not yeah. Who you started with? Yeah, it's probably a skill that needs to be. Especially, it is a it skill, is, and it's a learnable. See, that's it. It's a it's a learnable hmm. skill that is within the reach of all of us. Yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. What a rich hmm. episode! Uh, let's talk about books, shall I we? I was going to say, I know that Kay has some books that she wanted. I to, brought a yeah, list, please. just just a few. <laughs> oh, we have some major <laughs> show notes this week. <laughs> we mentioned one already. Yes. Resurrecting um, the person. Resurrecting yes. the person. Yeah, John's and then you had a couple others you wanted to. Oh, there's so many good ones. Yeah, um, yeah. There's one. Called, it's not in print, but but you can find it on used bookstore mm. sites. It's called Open Heart, Open Home. Oh, Joyce loved by that, yeah. Karen Burton Maines, and it was written in like 1975. So it's it's like 43 years old. But I'm telling you, other than a few tiny little things, you will think it was written today. Mm -hmm. It is all about. The miracle, as she calls it, of a Christian home, mm -hmm. and when and and when that and it's a miracle to be shared, mm -hmm. and the hospitality, and um, we we alluded to it a little bit, but just this: not only did God radically friend us, but He radically He He offered the radical hospitality of of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. We would we wouldn't even be sitting here if God had not wanted us and welcomed us yeah. into His family, mm -hmm. and that that's what we are to do in this world friendship, but also in our homes, that yeah. our homes are to be places of, of um, I can really go to town on that one, but <laughs> Open Heart, Open Home, yeah. really I'll worth the read. It is amazing. Um, there's another book that I'm reading. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Hmm. And that might be a little not in the typical purview of maybe some of your um, listeners, but it's by Bessel van der Kolk, K-O-L-K, Kolk, van der Kolk, Kolk, Kolk. I'll give it to you. It's a classic book on how trauma um, and some of the painful experiences that we've all gone through, how we don't always recognize that um, how our body is keeping score, mm -hmm. how that gets absorbed mm -hmm. into our bodies and some of the um, ways that we talk, think, act, even the ways that our health is affected mm -hmm. by trauma that we've experienced. And it's, it speaks really, it's not a, it's not a Christian book, but it speaks to the, to the magnificence of the creation that God had when he mm -hmm. made us, that mm -hmm. our bodies are such complex, magnificent, um, um, beings and how, what we've experienced goes into our body and affects our lives and how we can learn then to recover from that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a, mm. it's a killer book. It's that really, really it's yeah, really, yeah. really good. Um, one of the, uh, I'm reading a book called Lincoln on race and slavery, mm. which is fascinating. It's edited by Dr. Um, uh, Henry Louis Gates. And it, it just, it, it takes um, President Lincoln's all of his speeches, all of his public remarks, all of his things, and and looks at the lens of um, what did he think? How what were the conflicting thoughts he had about race? The conflicting mm. thoughts he had about slavery, and the mm. conflicting thoughts he had about the Union. And it is fascinating. So it's not a discipleship mm. book, but I'm reading I, it I right gotta, now. Got to check that out. It I just read the really Team of Rivals good. last year, and I was like. I want to learn everything there More is to Lincoln. learn about Lincoln, please. <laughs> well, this is a really, really good one. Out. And good. then probably the last one that I would um, just say that I'm um, enjoying a lot is another book by um, John Swinton, and it's called Becoming 
um, A Friend of Time. Mm. And um, the subtitle of it is Disability, um, Timefulness, and Gentle Discipleship. I knew you'd like it because of the word gentle discipleship. We do love that. <laughs> his, his premise, if I can say it in a sentence or two in this book, is that um, because we value time so highly, if anybody can't fit if they can't talk fast enough, mm-hmm. if they can't move fast enough, if they can't articulate their thoughts as clearly as we like, we're we're you know, we're, we're watching mm-hmm. the time here, and if they can't, we start um, ignoring them, and before long, they become marginalized people, mm-hmm. and so that speaks to the people uh, people who live with disability, people who've had traumatic brain injuries, sure. those who experience some sort of um, mental retardation, mm-hmm. um, those with um, dementia. Um, people who just have a lower intelligence. And mm. and then when we mm. start marginalizing them, then he really takes it, he draws, he takes the to the logical conclusion is it's easier to be rid of them. Mm. Wow. And um and how how it starts, he says, with our view of time. Mm. Wow. That um because people can't fit into our fast pace, then it's like, ah, I don't have to listen to them. Ah, I don't have time for them. Ah, mm. they're not important. Ah. They don't need to live. So it's a very profound book. Um, mm. But then his remedy for that is gentle discipleship for those mm. who have experienced, who don't fit within our narrow confines of time and therefore oh. value. Yeah. It's really good. Oh, man, that's powerful. <laughs> I, there's two things that you just brought to mind. One is, uh, and I think this is worth making sure everybody realizes that, and I think you'll agree, discipleship is a multifaceted process. It's We think of it as a strictly spiritual process, but it involves... A, a progression that is an emotional progression and an intellectual progression and a spiritual progression. Yes. There's there we are, are many whole facets beings. to it. Yeah. So you said, <clears throat> I'm not sure if some of these books fit in the discipleship purview. I'm like, those are exactly <laughs> those are, yeah. what people okay. need because they help us grow as the multifaceted creatures yeah. God made us to yeah. be. Um, but that time thing is mm-hmm. so huge in our because we we see time as such a finite resource, mm-hmm. and I I think that when we're conf- that's probably one of those barriers that that we have to being well, with marginalized people. He says. That this was a mind shot. I hope I say it right. It, it, I, it was one of those where I sat back and went, whoa, oh. because it was just that heavy of a, I'd never thought of it this way. But he said, time is a created thing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's broken. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of went, oh, well, wow. that explains. Wow. It's not a matter if I could just get my schedule under control, if I could just get this organized, if I could just do this right, then I could make time bend to yeah. me and be the way I want it to be. I'm always going to struggle with time because mm. time is broken. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know. You know, I can't say what oh, it does man. for anybody else, but <clears throat> that opened up an entire new vein in my head. Yeah, our, our relationship with it is completely toxic mm-hmm. at yeah. times. Yeah, and we, we, we think of people who take time from us as almost stealing something yeah. from yeah. us. And that's not, certainly not how Jesus operated. Right. Jesus was a guy who was like, wait, who touched my robe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. stopped in the middle of Let the hustle. And, and, and looks right at her. Yeah. You know, yeah. He finds her and looks right at her. Yeah, no, no. Says, who and touched her? Yeah. 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 He yeah. talks with her. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a great list. We'll put all those in the show notes. Okay. Uh, and also your books as well, Thank obviously. You. Thank you. Um, any closing words to our people before we wrap up this today? This was fun. Thank you. I, We're so I agree. This is cool. Everybody, thanks so much for watching. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time. If you're a podcast listener and you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. And if you're thinking, hey, listening's great, but is there a way I can watch these episodes? Yeah, there is. 
Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for video versions of these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you're already watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning into Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Mm-hmm.